This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anin, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic health crisis. Today on the show, we talk with two Native healthcare providers to find out how they view the path of healing during these times of pain, continued racial unrest, and the pandemic. Samantha Nelson is a health unit coordinator in Monticello, and she's working on a team conducting COVID-19 testing. And Dr. Mary Owen joins reporter Melissa Townsend, and they speak about Dr. Owen's work in healthcare in northern Minnesota, her work with underrepresented medical students, and how inequities are built into systems of healthcare and beyond. All that and more coming up, but first, on June 1st, during the daily COVID-19 briefing, Minnesota's Department of Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm acknowledged systemic problems that result in health disparities. This comes at a time when the Twin Cities was sparked into mourning with the tragic death of George Floyd and the violence after. About 20 years ago, we published one of the first reports in the country from a state health department that linked health outcomes with social and economic conditions in our communities. Then a little over six years ago, MDH released a report that clearly called out the structural barriers that systematically prevent some of our people from reaching their highest potential for good health explicitly naming structural racism and the inequitable maldistribution of opportunity as root causes of the persistent and glaring health disparities in Minnesota, some of the worst in the nation for people of color and American Indians in Minnesota. These facts that structural barriers exist in systems are well known by our Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities across Minnesota. And our communities came together at the very intersection of George Floyd's death with the healing medicine of the jingle dress. Ms. Kagimiwan Pupart Chapman shares why she was dancing. I'm 19 years old. I attend Augsburg University. Uh, I, I live in this area. I have family members just around the corner. I represent the Minnesota Indian Education Association and I'm a woman's power dancer. I'm dancing for the people. I'm dancing for healing. I came here with compassion in my heart, with empathy. I know how these families are feeling because it happens to ours. We're all hurting and I'm here dancing for the people. That's why all these dancers are here. The jingle dress has been culturally significant in ceremony and healing for about a hundred years. And when the pandemic hit a few months ago, Native people across North America shared its medicine with virtual jingle dress dancing. Author, historian, and professor Brenda Child spoke with Minnesota Native News in March about the history of the jingle dress and its role during times of illness. I was home at Red Lake and people were telling the story of the jingle dress dance, the story of the little girl who falls very ill. Her father's worried that she's going to die and he makes the jingle dress or the dress is made for her and she recovers her health. And I know as a historian that the big flu epidemic of 1918-19 had a very devastating effect on American Indian people. And illness can take many forms, from viruses to injustice. I always look at the jingle dress as being kind of a radical tradition in its origins. It was used in Idle No More in Canada. Jingle dress dancers were at Standing Rock. It's still being used to empower women today. 
Ojibwe people believe in the healing power of music and dance. And so those performative traditions or art are very important in times like this. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem, and today we're hearing from people who work in the medical field. We'll talk about what is at the heart of ensuring the health of our communities. I'm happy to introduce Samantha Nelson to the program. Samantha Nelson is a health unit coordinator in Monticello, and she's working on a team conducting COVID-19 testing. And I'll be talking to her where she is at home with her kids. Bonjour, Samantha. Welcome. Anine. Hey, can you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Uh, Yes, I'm Samantha Nelson, and I am a health unit coordinator for the Geriatric Behavioral Health Unit, um, Central Care, Minnesota, uh, in Monticello. And I am a Mille Lacs band member. And we are also cousins. Yes. (laughs) Just so our listeners are aware. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So how are you doing? I'm I'm doing fairly well. It's it's definitely a different world we're living in right now and lots of uh, chaos, but I feel like we're handling it pretty well here. Sure. And how's the family? Pretty good. Knowing they've been, you know, at home for the last three months, but we've been keeping busy. When we've talked before, you mentioned your husband's job site is closed. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, Well, they just closed it for one day because they were unsure if it was going to be um, another target. Uh, Two of the other job sites that his company uh, was currently working on were both um, set on fire Mm -hmm. during the riots. Mm -hmm. So they were just trying to make sure everything was okay. He did end up going today. Okay. How are you feeling right now with what's happening with the pandemic and what's going on in the Twin Cities? Um, it's, it's very heartbreaking. It's, you sit kind of in the background and you don't think that these things are going to be happening to you. They happen to your parents and their parents' parents. And mm. uh, you just don't think it's going to happen in your timeline. And it is. And it's happening kind of at the same time. So it's, it's very weird for me. I really don't know how to explain my feelings on everything. I know that it's been very hard for me to explain it to my children and how to explain it to them. Um, You know, why they have to stay home because they might get sick and, you know, um, why sometimes a police Mm -hmm. officer um, does something that they shouldn't be doing. And why other police officers are okay, and you know, so it's it's definitely a a new territory as a parent for sure. Yeah, I mean, we know that racism and inequities and all of that still is totally prevalent, right? Um, but just to see it at this level um, is astonishing and really deserves a lot of. It deserves the attention that it's getting. Yes, I agree. Can you talk a bit about what you are doing as a health unit coordinator? I work for the Geriatric Behavioral Health Unit. And right now, currently, uh, the unit was shut down just to help out for COVID testing. It wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be, which was great. So people are coming to you for help, for testing. And how... How are they feeling? Are people nervous? What are you seeing? Yeah, 
um, they are nervous. We're kind of working with Governor Walt's five-point plan that he had discussed for long-term care residents and the employees and the workers that come in and out of the buildings and everything else. They're trying to make sure that we have low numbers of COVID or try to keep COVID completely out. Um, So when they asked other units to help out with testing, that's when we came in because they needed the help. There was a lot of people that they needed to test. Um, It wasn't just people uh, that were healthy. It was people who have been near people with COVID or felt symptoms. So you were dealing with a lot of different people um, in a lot of different stages on how they felt. Uh, For instance, there was a 17-year-old girl. She did not have symptoms, but you could tell she was very panicked. Because I'm sure in her head, she's thinking, oh, what if, what if I have it? You know, what if I'm asymptomatic? You know, you could just tell everything was reeling in her head. And when you come, you see these kind of patients, you have to make somebody feel like a person and you have to calm them down, um, not make them feel like they're sick or, you know, if they're nervous about it, just come with a smile, say the right thing, um, act like it's not that big of a deal, you know joke a little bit. It just really depends on the person, I guess, that you have driving up. Treating others like human beings, right? And I really feel like this is what we're hoping to unpack today. So how are you and your colleagues making sure everyone is being treated fairly? Where I'm working and what I'm seeing and the people that I work with, everyone seems to be being treated fairly, even with patients that are sick you know, we're still going up right to the window. We're still talking to them the same. It just it just makes everybody feel comfortable when you're doing that. If we're talking about the inequity piece, I, I do work in a fairly diverse area. Um, we see a lot of different races and uh, sexuality. Yeah, is there a training or, I don't know, like a pep talk that people go through to ensure that equal treatment is happening? We go through a lot of training in the beginning um, before we even start work on equality and making sure that we're not, you know. Like prejudice? Prejudicial? Yes, making sure that those, you know, biased, mm-hmm. especially because Centricare is in an area, um, their biggest hospital and a lot of their healthcare systems are in St. Cloud and there's a very huge population of Somalians. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, they want to make sure that everybody's mm-hmm. feeling comfortable with coming. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't take, they have no tolerance whatsoever for it. It's just not, mm-hmm. it's not that type of place, which I, I really felt comfortable working for them personally. It's closer to home. Um, part, a big part of it is because of that. Yeah. So the drive through testing, can you describe that? Yeah. Um, we have them call a phone number. And one of the patient access ladies will uh, go through all of the check-in. Once they're done with check-in, they print out the paperwork. And that's when I would come out to the car and give them their paperwork that they need to sign, discuss anything, answer any questions that I am able to answer, um, and to just comfort them. You know, I truly believe in energy. So when I come out, I come out with a big smile. I ask their name to make sure I'm at the right place or the right vehicle just really try to make them as comfortable as possible because it is, it's very scary. And some of them have actually had to take this test before. Uh, from what I hear, the nasal one is very harsh and, you know, we're, oh, we're doing oral this 
today. So you don't have to worry about it too much. It's not too harsh on you. The girls will walk you through it. They'll make you feel comfortable. Um, and it's also with communication with the nurses. And that's why I love working with the unit that I work with where, you know, this isn't our, what we do on a regular day or regular basis or anything. And to know that we're working together, it's because we work as such a good team has been great. We talk through or, you know, this person's pretty anxious. I, you know, I try to calm them down um, just to let you know when they're coming up or, you know, just really communicating as much as possible to make sure everything's smooth for everybody. Gotcha. Did you in a, ever in a million years think you would be doing something like this? No. <laughs> no, not at all. And when they started COVID testing, we actually, they do it right above our unit. So we had watched it in the beginning and I thought, oh, those poor girls <laughs> um, down there doing this. And then when they had asked, I mean, I didn't think twice. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I will help out wherever I can. What do you need? We're trying to keep everybody safe and healthy. and Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Sam, for doing that work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What sort of precautions do you take then as you work with the folks coming in needing the tests? Well, we uh, the hospital has extra scrubs. So you can come up, take the scrubs for the day so that you can get dressed in your own clothes or the work clothes that you had on um, so that you don't have to worry about that. Uh, we also have masks eye protective wear and then they also have um hair pieces <laughs> hair nets um caps gotcha cloth caps to keep your hair up and out of the way and that you know yeah so that's that's what i use you're listening to a special edition of minnesota native news covid19 community conversations supported by a grant from the minnesota department of health i'm leah lem today we are talking about healthcare providers and how they're expressing their values through their work during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Mary Owen is a physician with the Fond du Lac tribe and is training future Native physicians in her role as the Director of Indian and Minority Health at the University of Minnesota in Duluth. She is from the Thunderbird House of the Shark Clan of the Alquan tribe of the Clinkett Nation. Our reporter, Melissa Townsend, talked with Dr. Owen about being a physician, dealing with structural racism, righteous anger, and finding hope amidst the current unrest across the country. So we are currently in the era of COVID-19 pandemic, and also the violence at the hand of the police and the violence that is happening in reaction to that. It seems like lots of people are jumping on to what's been happening Tell me about how that's impacting you and the people you care about and work with there. A couple of different ways. Um, you know, the violence and the rioting and all in response to the murder of George Floyd is uh, a critical event for people of color and Native Americans in general for a couple of reasons. One is that it highlights this inequity that brown and black people have been talking about for so long, but has not been believed or apparent until more recently. All of a sudden, it feels like the light bulb has gone off and eyes are opening wide as far as non-people of color as to what has been happening day after day after day. This violence and this rioting is horrible because it's happening in our neighborhoods, right? It's impacting our clinics. The clinic that I trained at Broadway Clinic was a North Memorial Family Practice Residency Program training clinic. It was totally gutted. 
Oh, yeah, in North Minneapolis. Yeah, and we serve the population there that is, for the most part, impoverished and doesn't have alternatives. So now, folks there, where are they going to get their medications? How are they going to see their health providers? The health provider is going to find another way, but, the, you know, in the immediate, they don't have that. Oh. So I understand the impact that this is having. But yet I also get the anger that's behind so much of this. When you combine a pandemic with all of that rage that's just been pent up, it's been a recipe for disaster as we've seen. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that COVID-19 maybe set the stage for this or fits into what's happening? Well, who are the communities most impacted by COVID-19? People of color again, right? They're the people who are having to go to work for the most part. They're the people who are getting sick and dying in higher numbers. People who are unemployed at higher numbers at the same time. Those factors are igniting the anger. It's just lit it up. Mm. You are the support person for a number of medical students. What's happening among the students? Tonight, I will have my first meeting with all the underrepresented medical students and probably have like a two-hour talking circle to check in with them about how they're feeling. But some of the students of color, of course, are impacted because they've seen another person kill another person of color, right? And it's not just that one incident. There are several, you know, reports of reporters getting attacked. There was a man who was bitten by a dog. We've seen all kinds of crazy stuff that they are coping with um, at the same time as covid And I don't know about all of them, but some of them are not doing very well, just like anybody's not doing well right now. Mm -hmm. How are you advising your medical students to take care of themselves? Well, they're medical students, so they're used to really high levels of stress. But the things that I've been advising people are to reach out to one another and let each other know about how they're feeling, to discuss things, and to make sure that people understand that there's sanity and humanity in this world. And then the other piece, if they feel like they need to be active, then be active and call their representatives, call their elected officials, share with as many people as they can their perspectives on this so that people don't feel like, oh, this violence, it's just those people who are out of control. Tell what's behind this because no one else can say it as well as we can. Uh, You know this already. You don't need the Commissioner of Health to tell you this. But in the last week, the Minnesota Department of Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm said, Our society's continued struggle with violence and racism, particularly structural racism, is not an isolated problem of a specific place or time. It's a fundamental public health challenge that expresses itself in many ways. And she says, we must continue our work to address this long-standing stain on our communities, our state, and our country. I'm just wondering your reaction to that. Well, I think it's excellent. Um, Look at education rates inequities in housing rates, all of those social determinants of health and education, like she said, those pieces of structural racism, and you'll see Minnesota is not faring very well. So I'm glad that she's pointing that out. It is absolutely critical to acknowledge it. Minnesotans generally don't like to, um, to talk about these things. They're embarrassing. They're painful. But as I've told other people, I think talking about it is an act of love. When we sit down and try to hear the other person and find out where they're coming from, that is an act of love and caring. Hey, who are you? What do you need? What's going on in your life? It's what we all should be doing. And don't just ask, say, what can we do to help make the change? You know, I think a lot about the challenges to maintaining health, specifically in Native communities. We cannot lose sight of the fact that people don't have the same access to health care. There is this historical mistrust of the institutions that provide health care. 
people have priorities in their lives that, you know, like food and a roof over their head, right? We're not making sure their kids have those things that come before their appointment at this institution that they might not always trust that they have to get transportation to. You know, it's one thing after another. Thank you for saying that. I think in some ways I go into this place of like how racism affects us psychologically. And there certainly is that. But what you're saying is an excellent reminder of these structural, physical, historic barriers to doing the things you know you want to do in your life. Yes. Do I have that right? Yes. Are you hopeful? Well, I'm hopeful when I get an email from a student who's from the majority race who says, I'm really concerned about this. Tell me what we can do to help fix this. Or when my colleagues say, we are so glad that you're here helping us with this message. I'm hopeful when I hear people reaching out and saying, what can we do to make this change? Yeah. I'm also hopeful because this is the first time I I was telling my daughter, uh, I had a meeting with faculty not too long ago. And the first time ever I heard the acknowledgement and no slap down of this idea of white privilege and white fragility. Mm. It feels like the conversation has finally started to change. Something feels dramatically different to me. Mm. So those things give me hope. Yes. And what about this pandemic? You know, what is the path forward in terms of your work and, and what you're seeing in the clinic? Well, I'm really fearful of the impact that the protests are going to have um, on uh, rising rates of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, I went down to one of them myself because I just felt like I needed to be there around other people, feeling the same, needed that support. And also to just let African-American people in particular know about the solidarity. But I do worry. I feel pretty confident that this is going to come back with a vengeance in the fall, if not beforehand, because we don't have a vaccine. We have not reached herd immunity. The communities that I fear for the most are the same ones that are being harmed by everything that we've seen so far people of color. They're going to have higher rates still. And the reservations are just like Tinder out there because we don't have the same ICU facilities out there. We don't have the staffing out there. The University of Minnesota trying to reach out to tribes as much as possible and and see how we can help prepare, but it's very nerve wracking. Yeah. What's your advice to people in terms of trying to stay safe and stop this spread? In the time of Right. Yeah, people who want to be active, but also want to stay safe. Well, I, it seems somewhat clear right now that it's not very safe to go either for COVID or for your own physical safety to go down and join any protests right now in the Twin Cities. They all seem to be turning violent and they're semis trying to run you down as well. You know, right. That, that makes it pretty easy to stay safe from COVID and stay safe for your physical body. To stay away from those. But in addition, the same old, same old. You wash your hands frequently. You wear the mask. You don't go out unless you need to. We know the governor opening up businesses is primarily because of pressures that people are feeling from the economy. Yeah. It's not necessarily because we think this is safe, and that's my concern. I'm seeing people walk around all the time without masks. What's up with that? Mm. The COVID didn't just disappear. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a, another fear that I have is that people have this mistaken idea that it's not here anymore. Yeah. So it sounds like as passionate as you are and committed to deep change, uh, maybe move the struggle for that off the street for safety and into different places. Does that represent what you're saying? I'm not going to advise anybody to do that. I'm saying that if I'm talking to my students, if I'm talking to my daughter, if I'm talking to the people that I know, that's my personal advice. But I would never uh, tell people who are involved in a movement 
right now in particular, that they should move off the streets. I just can't do that. I understand the anger completely. I would hope that some of us can get involved in helping in different ways to get the places that are absolutely critical for health up and going again, like Broadway Clinic, that we can protect the other clinics down there, like Cook and Smiley's, the ones that actually serve the populations down there. So if you're going to go out and do things, those are the kind of things that I would advise you to figure out how you can help that area come back to life. Well, Dr. Owen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your thoughts. I appreciate you helping us highlight these important messages. That was reporter Melissa Townsend speaking to Dr. Mary Owen, a physician with the Fond du Lac Tribe and the Director of Indian and Minority Health at the University of Minnesota in Duluth. So, Sam, do you have a reflection on what you're hearing Dr. Mary Owen saying? Um, I can feel her energy, definitely. And I loved what she said about the act of love. Um, a lot of the things that she must have gone through. Um, I, I've gone through a lot of racism myself. Uh, and, and in the area that I live, it's primarily white. And having to, I've had to explain a lot what privilege means and why, you know, you know a, a lot of people don't understand, well, why do they feel this way? Why do you know, you know, I, I had my chiropractor the other day say, I just really didn't realize it was so racist around here. Huh. Oh. Um, well, <laughs> we could get into a conversation about this, but the short term, you know, um, in the nicest way possible, you know, is, well, you, you don't see it. Um, you aren't brown or black. You are a white male mm-hmm. um, with a nice car and you own your own business in a nice area. You know, it's it's having to explain a lot. Uh, but I, in getting the feedback that I have, thankfully, um, people do understand. There's quite a lot of people that don't. I loved hearing what she had to say about how in that area they only have a certain place that they can go and they don't have the transportation. I would really love to see what's going to happen with that. Yeah. It was announced um, in response to the large gatherings recently after George Floyd's death that the state of Minnesota is recommending and encouraging that all mourners and demonstrators, whether they feel sick or not, Uh, get tested for COVID-19. Are you prepared for that as an individual and as a testing site? I am not sure what they will be doing with the testing site. Personally, I have not heard anything so far. Personally, I am prepared for that. As soon as she said all of that stuff, the first thing I thought was, well, where can I go and volunteer down there? Can I help with testing down there? Can I do something to help out, you know, come whatever they need. Um, I think that that's me personally and who I am. Gotcha. Miigwech, Samantha, for chatting with me today. Um, Your perspective is so valuable. I really, really appreciate it. Miigwech. for listening today. My heart goes out to all those who are hurting, who are worried, who are grieving, and to those who are serving and supporting our communities and helping us be healthy and safe. Thank you, Samantha Nelson, for sharing your thoughts and insights with me. And thank you, Dr. Mary Owen and reporter Melissa Townsend for your conversation. 
If you're looking for more information about COVID-19 in the state of Minnesota, go to mn.gov slash COVID-19. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.